I mean, head, that's those, a silly question. Did you get extra large headphones? <laughs> Why is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help myself. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Do we sound better? I hope we sound better, Josh. We better sound better. We, Metacasters, we made a significant investment. And if you knew how cheap <laughs> I am. It I, wasn't just you, sir. So I'm, I'm a cheap, let me, can I say it? A bastard. I'm yeah. a cheap bastard. So we made a significant investment in equipment. And, we're, and this is our first Metacast. This is a speed, Josh's term, we're, we're using a speed Metacast today just to check out the equipment yeah and uh please tell us if it sounds better that's the intent oh, if it I, doesn't oh, let us know maybe, oh no i don't want to know maybe don't tell us yeah don't tell us for god's oh. sake <laughs> after i blew all this money i don't want to know no don't just send us a polite little thumbs down but that's about it <laughs> and then i'll cry later uh, oh my gosh josh i hope it i think it's better well after 70 episodes in five years i think it's time for us to graduate beyond the $99 USB microphones. I think I think so. So what's our topic today? We were going to talk about... Uh, Scrum Masters. For about 15 minutes or so? Yeah, and we'll knock it out. So what, it, what are some of the characteristics of excellent Scrum? Like, what does Scrum Mastery look like? Ooh. The mastery of Scrum. Why don't we talk about patterns or anti-patterns? Okay. Like, you would know a Scrum Master if you saw this, or if you, you would know someone's struggling with it if you saw this. Either way. So what do you think, Josh? Do you want to tee one up? Yeah, so my classic definition is Yoda. Right, I'm looking for... Oh my for... God, he starts off with Yoda. I did. Oh my Lord, you should have saved Yoda to the end. I can't, you know, I'm a Star Wars nerd. <laughs> oh my God. Go. Okay, so Yoda. So the one cool thing about Yoda is that Yoda very seldom smacked Luke in the face with what he needed to do to solve the problems. And I expect... Well, I shouldn't say that. What I've seen from good scrum masters is that they operate in that same way and is that they are leading people to the destination, not just um, telling them what to do, telling them what to do and just transferring them straight to the answer. So that's one thing. Um, operating with questions, a lot of questions. So I, I would buy that. So asking instead of telling, asking questions. Uh, I would add to that like situationalness. And what I mean by that is if it's a brand new team. Um, you might be a little bit more prescriptive uh, than with a more experienced team. So you have the uh, you have the experience to know when to be a Mike Shashevsky mm -hmm. versus when to be a very soft coach mm -hmm. and to ask more questions, uh, but always leaning towards uh, honoring the team, always leaning towards serving the team. Uh, is that fair? Yeah, so let's just talk about the primary role of the what that scrum master should be doing, right? Because you threw out a couple of terms around there that I would line up very closely with a successful scrum master. Like? Honoring the team, serving the team. So honor the team, serve the team. Uh, defend I, the team? Defend the team? I like that. Appropriately. Appropriately. Not blindly. Well, not just, and you can't be defensive. So you're not serving the team if you come off to stakeholders, for example, like in a, a sprint demo, if someone dings the team, you can't jump up 
and and get defensive for your team. Right. You, you want to now if that behavior, let's say in the demo, someone is out of bounds, uh, the team failed, but they failed wonderfully. Mm-hmm. They stretched. They took risks, and someone's picking at their bones in the in the uh, demo. Uh, and and look, talking about points, oh, you signed up for 18 points and you only deliver 17.75 points. Right. I would hope that the scrum master would sort of defend the team from the point of view that the points matter, mm-hmm. but, the, but other things matter more. Right. Uh, too. And they would have the courage. So courage would be a part of scrum mastery to me. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot over the years. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the five scrum principles. And I, I think the other thing is I don't think we're innately courageous. As I mean, we have kids, you know, we have lives, right? You get paid, you right. have kids, so with courage comes risk. Mm-hmm. You know, can the organization actually look at it positively? And that's courage in a lot of directions, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not just in that sprint review when someone you know takes a cheap shot at the team, but also you being honest with the team and saying, dudes, it's not, it's, it's you're t- not working the way we need to. It's teamward risk. I mean, it's teamward courage. I mean, it's three. So it's three hundred sixty degree courage. It's having courage to talk to other scrum masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so peers, uh, managers, which we might be peer level managers. It's talking upward and then it's talking downward. I, right. I would agree with that. Uh, what else? Well, there's the classic things um, like the job description of a scrum master impediments. Uh, the scrum master owns impediments and they have to resolve impediments. Right. So that's sort of what? That's table stakes. What's What else is table stakes? Uh, I view it as a shepherd of the process, right? Ensuring that the process is adhered to, sort of followed. And sort of a traffic cop in a, in a really positive way. Right. Of holding whatever. So of the process, but also the agreements that the team has made. So mm-hmm. definition of done, for example. Yeah, and the team norms. Team norms. If the team agreed to something the scrum master would try to bring them back to center on their agreements right. and, and politely or courageously remind them of their agreements. Right. So that's table stakes. Uh, that can get nuanced, but I think that has table stakes. Uh, impediments is table stakes. Facilitation, mm-hmm. being able to facilitate meetings. Tell guys like me, here's a, here's a challenge. Tell guys like me right. to shut up. Like, Ooh, go ahead, yeah. try, like, try it, Josh. Bob, zip your lip. Oh, my God, Josh. That, <laughs> that hurt me. It was joyous. It Let's was, do it again. How did that feel? Wonderful. Bob, zip it. <laughs> Shut up, Bob. <laughs> so, uh, but but facilitation, and, and that's not always easy to, uh, let's talk about that a little bit, like getting getting everyone to share equally. Yeah. Getting all the, getting all the ideas. Right, and not letting just the loudest voice always win. So, and that can happen in a team. That's probably... I, I see that a lot at a team level mm-hmm. where there's, you know, there's enthusiastic, you know, even just enthusiastic people, but they're not listening to each other. Right. Uh, the loud voice wins. Uh, the curmudgeon wins, et cetera. Right. So try to level set that. Uh, what else? Um, put themselves out of a job. That was my next point. You it was not. To it. Could they put themselves? So I think part of the mindset is the team... I mean, as an example, when I've been a scrum master, I've weaned myself. You've heard me say this, mm-hmm. but I've literally called in sick when I wasn't sick. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give the team like two or three days where they had to figure out uh, they had a scrum master themselves. I might ask someone to do it. Yeah. But what I found is by disconnecting from the team, it encourages them to uh, form. Uh, yeah. It encourages them to become more self-directed. 
So if you take that to the extreme, put yourself sort of out of a job. Yeah, that's my vision I set for all the scrum masters that I've worked with and coached is that your job is to put yourself out of a job and not always to be the guy that holds the team to those things, but to infuse that thought process and that view of the world and protection of the team and the process into everyone that's a member of that team and get them to think like that and yep. not just be that that funnel and bottleneck that you're always the one doing that. Yep. I was I forget who I was talking to the other day, just maybe in the last week or a little bit more, uh, but I made a statement. I want to hear how you react to it. But they disagreed. Uh, I said, I think the best scrum masters are the ones who are the most clueless in the domain. And what I mean by that is if I if I walk into a company and I don't know their technology stack and I don't know a good point, the yeah. business domain at all, I, I think I can still be a hell of a scrum master yeah. uh, because that stuff gets in the way sometimes. And this person disagreed. They're like, well, how do you how do you help them solve their problems? You know, how do you tell them which choice to make? Yeah. See, that's not so. So that's not what it is. And I agree. It's not about solving the problems and even back to the impediments, right? So it's not your job to get the final answer, but it's, it might be your job to get the answer to them or to help them find the people that will get the answer. And that was, that was one of his points. He said, well, how do you explain something to an outsider? Uh, if you don't know the domain at all. And I said, you know, I think you, you probably have some knowledge. And we were talking about an extreme, like could a waiter, could someone who waits on tables, who has great people skills mm -hmm. and has the mindset of serving people. If you've ever worked, some, you know, in other businesses, there's people that you look at them and say, boy, they would make a great scrum master. Right, yeah. They have those innate teamwork. They put the team first. Uh, they have good collaborative skills. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were talking about. I, I said, I think that person could come into an organization, maybe not be totally clueless, but they might have children who are playing computer games, so they probably understand some of the technology. Right, and if you're reasonably intelligent, you can have a discussion with a member of your team and say, okay, I'll go find you the person that has the answer. It's not their responsibility to have the answer, Yep. but to connect them with the answer. Or come along, or it might be even show some vulnerability and say, I, and maybe that's another aspect, is be vulnerable. Say you don't know as a scrum master. Say, I need your help. I think that would be a great role model for the team. Mm -hmm. Come with me. I need your help to remove this impediment. Right. Because you're a team member too. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I don't, you know, I, I sort of, we agreed to disagree. Uh, and I know that you can't be a moron. I mean, I'm not saying you can't be totally clueless about everything. But I think the better scrum masters, because you have to, the point is you have to depend on the te your team for answers. You can't, you don't have the knowledge to get in the way of the team. Right. Anything else? Uh, so the one thing that I, common anti-patterns, and this leads into a bigger question I want to tackle, is the people manager that becomes the scrum master. So the functional manager then takes on that role. To me, that's a very difficult thing to do. I've been in that role myself, and it puts everybody in a difficult spot, I even remember, the team members. I remember in one of the Medicasts, not that, I mean, in the last year or two, we were talking about retros, I think, at a company you were at. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And I said, get out of there, and you you had reasons not to, and they were good reasons. But I think you removed yourself. I did. That was great advice. And it and it worked. Mm -hmm. And and you're a good coach. Mm -hmm. you, it's not about you. It's not about your skills. But your your prime role gets in the way, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I was so frustrated that my 
that my role and my title or whatever was getting in the way and my idealistic side said it shouldn't be like that. And it shouldn't be like that. But the reality is that it was. So I had to do what was best for the team and the best thing I could do, to your credit, which you made me do, rightfully so, was get the heck out of there and let them own it. And and they and they get that. And it took off and the team really accelerated once I did that. Exactly. Uh that's that's the dilemma. It's not it's not about you Josh or it's not about the manager. Uh, I think the better the manager you are, the worse the situation is because people want to please you, right? Yeah, right, etc. So it's not about whether you're a good manager or bad, or you're agile or you're not. It, it's a role conflict. I th- I think that's probably the worst scenario is having a manager of a team be the scrum master for a team. I would rather. Yet so many people do that because they're cheap. Do you uh, think that's really it? Because that was the question I was getting to: is why do they're cheap? Yeah, they're cheap. And I'm guilty of that too, right? Like I've been places where I said, I can do this. I can tackle this. Whereas here I came in and there was a scrum master. I, I and think Richard's it, been great. It, that's his job. Yeah. That's his job. Yeah. I mean, eventually you'll need another, if you grow, you'll need another Richard or something. Yeah. And you might have a junior one and, you know, you'll be growing them. But it's just like you would, you would never start a team without an architect. You would never start a team without a UX person if you're doing front end work. Right. Uh, how could you start Scrum without having a professional Scrum master? Right. Uh, but people are inevitable. They're, they're really cheap. They don't see the value. I see the same pattern with product owners where people, they try to over... So either they assign the wrong people to be a product owner, like a BA who doesn't have who doesn't report to product and they're unempowered, but they're in the PO role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because organizations are cheap and they devalue it. They also overload them. Yeah. So another part of that pattern might not be the manager, but you take a team lead of a team and you say, oh, you're going to scrum master five other scrum teams. Yeah. And and you put them at a disadvantage. So don't do any – those are not scrum master anti-patterns. Those are organizational anti-patterns to, to, towards scrum master. Yeah, which make a challenging role even more challenging. Exactly. Well, and the other thing is I've always felt like um, the table stake stuff is easy. Facilitate and facilitation skills are hard, but facilitation, impediment management, being the uh, what the the keeper of the the, the rules, mm-hmm. is the easier stuff. It's the how do you have the challenging conversations to raise the performance bar for your team? Right. How do you face a team member privately, and coach them? Yeah, that's one thing that I've seen that is um, more than I expected from a good scrum master with Richard. Is Richard will pull someone aside and have a talk that I felt like, gosh, as their manager, shouldn't I be doing that? But it was really good to have that third party. He's the first line of defense. He's on that team. He can have that. You know, it's a fine line between what he's doing as a scrum master leader Mm -hmm. and what you're doing as a manager, director. But I always want the scrum master to take that first stab. Right. Now, what we're talking about there is, to me, that's where the scrum master is a full-time role. It's not a full-time role if you're just what uh, facilitating a stand-up. Right, right. But if you're if you're deeply uh, improving the performance of your team, and you're having these crucial conversations with your product owner, mm-hmm. and you're removing uh, hard impediments but also soft impediments, so that you're continuously improving, that you're earning your child, you're earning your paycheck. Right. That's scrum mastery from my point of view. And and if the team, and if you can walk away from your team, so it's not just, again, going back, it's not about you, but you're developing the whole team. Mm-hmm. The whole team, you can see this whole team developing up, and it's not you doing it, Josh. It's that structure. Right. It's that scrum master doing that. Right. That, that's the job. Okay, so one last thing to tackle in our speedcast here is um, 
ratio allocation, right? So people are cheap. The most prescriptive solution is one scrum master per squad per team. That's that's what the books give you, right? I've I've I'm so I've done this a few times. I've overloaded, but mm-hmm. I I go two to one. Two to one. Okay. So two teams to one scrum master. Uh, I would never overload beyond that, and I always ask permission of the scrum master. So I would never give them two really hard teams or two really young teams. Right. I would give them a moderately experienced team and then an inexperienced team. So they have, and I would ask them right. uh, if I had multiple teams and I would engage them in the decision of which teams do you pick. But I, I think the whole notion of one-to-one, very few organizations can really afford that. Right. But what they do instead of that is it's like zero to 20. Right, yeah. You know, and, and so they get extremely cheap. Right. So I usually recommend to folks like a two-to-one ratio. Okay, cool. And then talk to your scrum masters and make sure that they feel good about their job that and they feel good about the deep stuff as, a, as opposed to the superficial stuff. So they feel like they're doing both both sides. Yeah, so that deep stuff is something that maybe we need to dig into that I never really heard people talk about. It was always the ceremonies and the everything that goes along with the facilitation and all that stuff. But that second level, that next level down of really becoming an excellent scrum master, that's probably... That is the stuff. That's probably a full metacast we or could, two. That I we have really actually a seed into. document. There's a guy that wrote a book called Scrum Mastery, Jeff Watts in London. And uh, he, there, he has a nice list of things that we could dive in. We could do okay. a deep dive in that. Um, the other thing I was going to quickly say in defense of the pointy-headed managers is the reason that they don't understand the role and try to sort of cheapen it is what you just said. If you look at it just as a tactical role, mm-hmm. then you, it's hard to wrap your brain around what the heck am I paying for? Right. Right. The t- why, why do I need someone to manage a stand-up? Right. So, and, and so we've done ourselves a disservice that we haven't talked about the depth of the role to managers so that they understand, oh, it's not just the superficial stuff. It's actually other stuff. Yeah, so that lines up nicely with some of the stuff we talked about at the start of the year of trying to fix the fact that Agile's jumped the shark and what can we do to make a difference and how can we really define more clearly what an excellent scrum master does as opposed to the traditional lip service that's given to it of you do this, you do this. And really, the sadly, the stuff we talked about in the first five minutes, we got there and really got to that next level down that we probably need to spend some some time talking about that ourselves. And it's a common struggle out there. I mean, Richard, you mentioned Richard. He's trying to, he's he's seeing in our community here that there's not a lot of skill. There's not a lot of knowledge around Scrum Mastery. Right. And here we are. What Scrum's been alive for 15 years, for God's sakes. Right. And we're still, you know, talking about the basics of, of what, there's three roles in Scrum. Right. And one of the three roles, and, and we still have this lack of clarity, uh, it's I, I mean, that's actually part of the problem. Part of the jump the shark problem is that. All right. Well, let's do that. It sounds like a deal, Josh. Okay. Are we done? Stick a fork in the speed we cast. Are. The fork is stuck. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, you if you found us, you know how to get to us. That's right, Bob. So get, get to us the next Come time. Come back. Because the quality, we're ramping up the quality Metacasters. So yeah. put in your seatbelt, strap yourself in. We're in for a ride. <laughs> And so, from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, shake. And bake. Take care, y'all. We missed on the punch there. Too far away. Oh, here we go. Finish. Knock it out. There we go. There you go. Okay.